In today's episode, we're speaking to Garrett Gunderson. Garrett is the founder of Wealth Wealth Factory, an Inc. 500 company that has educated 350,000 entrepreneurs on effective ways to grow cash flow, plug financial leaks, and reach economic independence without sacrificing scrimping or becoming a Scrooge. He is New York Times and Wall Street's number one best-selling author of personal finance book, Killing Sacred Cows, Overcoming the Financial Myths That Are Destroying Your Prosperity, and as well as what would be what would the Rockefellers do? How the wealthy get and stay that way, and how you can do it too. And two more books: Money Unmasked and I Am Money. Let's speak to Garrett and find out how he changed his life by changing his mindset. Let's find out. And remember, if you want to upgrade your money mindset, then click on the link www.millionairefoundations.com and watch my free training. Money Mindset with Girl Khan podcast will help you to break free from your limiting beliefs, reverse your money shame and blast through your money blocks so that you can live a life of unlimited abundance. In this podcast, we will talk about energy tools and mindset strategies that will help you to understand and change your relationship with money, whether you're in a job, profession or working on your passion. Change your relationship with money to change your life. I'm your host, Gul Khan. Let's get started. Welcome, welcome. This is Gul Khan, your money, my sex expert. And today we're talking to the wonderful Garrett Gunderson. Welcome, Garrett. Thanks for having me. I sure appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming and joining us and having this conversation, Garrett. We're excited to have you. Garrett, everyone's heard your intro. They know how fabulous you are. But please, in your own words, tell everybody what it is that you do. So I'm using entertainment to educate um, specifically around the topic of money. So I, yeah, so I've written a kid's book around money. Okay. uh, And yeah, and then also have a book that's uh, that's recently come out called Money Unmasked. Mm -hmm. And those are two of my nine books that I've written. So I like to get out and speak. I've also done a comedy tour, um, two of them. As a matter of fact, I filmed a comedy special around the topic of money mm-hmm. because look, comedians talk about stuff all the time, like politics, because yeah. they kind of know about that. They don't talk a lot about money because they don't know a lot about that. But in 1998 is when I started in the financial business. Now, I was mainly like peddling mutual funds and life insurance for the mm-hmm. first couple of years, not really knowing what I was doing. But in the year 2000, that's when my education really started because the market went down. Right. And my clients started losing money and I didn't want to just tell them they were in it for the long haul or the market was on sale or to dollar cost average. So I flew somewhere once a month for 26 straight months interviewing the best minds, going to whatever events I could. And I really became an efficiency expert. How can okay. they keep more of what they make without cutting back? How mm. could they save on tax or on interest or on you know non-performing fees with their investments or duplicate coverages or improper structure with their insurance. And so it was about boosting their bottom line without mm-hmm. having to like miss out on life along the way. Amazing. Amazing. So talk us through this. Now, I love this. I love the, the the fact that you're teaching about money through comedy, through, you know, through entertainment. I think that's probably the easiest way to learn because money has so many emotions and has so many uh, traumas attached to it and I deal with money primarily and I know that a lot of people just like to brush under the carpet or ignore it or even deal with it and it doesn't matter the amount of money they make it, they could be you know cleaning the clean the toilets or they could be a CEO of Fortune 500 company if they haven't sorted out the money in their head in terms of emotionally sorted out their relationship with money 
the, both of them will end up in the same place because they'll end up spending more than they have. Obviously, you know, one having more debt than the other. And actually, funnily enough, the more money you make, and if you have a terrible relationship with it, you're going to be far worse off than somebody who is cleaning the toilets because they have less debt. They can they can only take out so much debt. So talk us through where did this idea, where did this idea come to you about you know combining this money with entertainment, which I think is a great idea, by the way, being a money mindset person as well. But where did it where did it dawn on you that I need to combine these two different genres? <laughs> you know, money, money mindset, and comedy and uh, entertainment. I this like mission or this notion that I wanted to help liberate 1 million people to become financially independent and change their family's financial future and destiny. And so millions seem like I wouldn't know how to do it when I said it, like, how am I going to reach that number of people? And so in going about that journey, I started to recognize like, yeah, millions of people want to be educated, but billions of people want to be entertained. Mm. And I started to think like, how many people were getting their advice from comedians and like actually adopting philosophies, whether it was political, like I said before, or mm. like they're just, and I was like, man, and I was in this course where the, the teacher was talking about people remember three times more if they're scared or if they laugh. Mm. And I was like, well, I don't want to scare people that we'll let, we'll let the news do that. We, Yeah, they do a good, good enough job of that. They've got, they, they, yeah, so they I was do. Like, and look, I, I had always had a love for comedy. It was mm. like one of my first memories. So I'm, I'm in a state where half the people are Mormon, right? Religiously. And my mm. dad's family was Mormon. Wow. My mom's okay. family was like hardcore Catholic, like go to church seven days a week, came over from Italy. And the only time I could get away with swearing was by telling jokes. Mm. And so both sides of the family didn't have a lot in common. But the one thing they had in common was the language of humor. My uncles were hysterical. My mom had this infectious laugh. My dad had a dry sense of humor. And so from the time I was five years old, I felt like comedy was love. I felt like if you connected from a joke, like Mm -hmm. you bonded and you weren't worried about what happened in the past or scared about what's going on in the future, but you simply could have this moment with another human being. And the funniest things are things that we haven't spoken, but we've thought. And this is what kind of takes off in culture. These ideas in our head, they were like, well, I'm not going to say that because it feels scary or controversial yeah. or might make me feel like an outcast. And then a comedian speaks it and you're like, wait, that's what I was thinking. And that's why we have that spontaneous moment. And so it wasn't really until 2017 that I got into comedy. We, we took the summer and went to Italy, which was a big deal because mm-hmm. my dad was a coal miner. My grandfathers were coal miners. My great grandfather was a coal miner. So to think about having a summer of leisure wasn't really how our mind worked. Mm. Our mind worked was you work hard and by working hard, you can live this life. But what I figured out early was hard work with the wrong philosophy still equals bankruptcy or frustration or limitation. 100%. Right? Yeah. And so I was like, when my wife spoke like 18 months before she went, she's like, what if we spent the summer in Italy because our kids are only going to be young once and Mm. I just want to have this experience. And I've been on the road speaking from the time we were married. So we'd never spent that number of days together. Good news is she still likes me. We're still together (laughs) after that summer. So so that's good. But I had downtime for the first time in my life. Like I was just, we're in Italy. It's a slower pace. I got into cappuccinos, Mm. right? I four hour dinners and 
I just would wake up and have this time to think. And I was like, what do I want in life? Like, what if life felt more artistic and less robotic? And right when we came home, we're celebrating my birthday at this baseball game and I made my wife laugh, which is hard to do sometimes. And she said, where did you, where did you get that joke? I'm like, from my own brain. That was what I told her, from my own brain. And she's like, that's kind of funny. I translated that to, I'm a comedic God. That's what I heard her say. <laughs> and, and the next thing I know, the, the first event I spoke at that Sunday, after taking the whole summer off, the guy introduced me as being hilarious. And I was like, oh, damn, I'm about to get a financial talk. Hmm. And he said, I'm hilarious. I told a few jokes. The crowd laughed. And so I immediately called my friend that was a runner up on Last Comic Standing and said, I want to do comedy. Scheduled an open mic, did the open mic. And he said, you should start opening for me. So two years after that, I was opening for his special that was being filmed. And a Hollywood manager was in the room. And he's like, I don't think anyone's really done this financial comedy thing. He's like, I think you should do it. Mm. And so I ended up filming a comedy special called the American Ream, drop the D, right? The Ream of like people being stressed and and overspending and all the things that we're talking about, but mm. not understanding money and telling all these these jokes, filmed the special. It just I just signed a contract barely for the distribution of that special. And so yeah, that's where I was like entertainment's the gateway to transformation. Entertainment is the better language to reach people that would never pay attention because money feels intimidating, frustrating, you know, impossible. And I'm like, but if we can laugh, we can learn. If we can learn, then we can start addressing these things that people have been avoiding for far too long. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I totally agree with you. And I think that is the best way to teach the next generation. And I'm, and I'm, as you were talking, and I believe you've got a book for children. I am, you know, I'm money for, for kids as well. I think that's probably the best way to teach these important principles to the next generation yes you know when it comes to you know children do learn from you as parents they they watch what you do and how you behave and so forth so i'm pretty confident my kids have a really really positive outlook towards money but at the moment it's very careless it's not very interested because for them money is boring you know they don't want to listen to mommy talk about mindset and so forth and other people may find it interesting but they don't and it just occurred to me had i someone like you talking to them in a funny way about money, they would be more interested. They would learn the principles. They would understand the concepts of, you know, profit loss sheets and, you know, what, you know, what it is about paying yourself and first and whatever else. And what I've gone about, you know, uh, the principles of profit first, the book and how that's important in all areas of your life. And so forth. at the moment, when I talk, start talking like that, <laughs> they, you see the, you know, the eyes glaze over, <laughs> you know, they switched off, right? However, yeah. if we're able to, articulate those concepts in a in a comical way in a way that will it will retain in the memory as well as understanding those concepts and be interested in hearing about those concepts that would be amazing so have you done anything like that for kids like have you done a program like this for kids or have you done a talk for kids or whatever because i think there's a definitely a gap in the market for sure so i i i tried okay i tried and it, and it was not the best i'll tell you what happened so it worked okay mm-hmm. i took my kids Hmm. my nephews and my niece and I and I set up a classroom here at my house okay and I had my oldest film it and it was called schooled and it was you don't want teachers on salaries that already have a big curriculum of things to do to add money to the equation hmm. because they probably don't understand it themselves oh 100 so, you don't you don't you don't get right. teachers to talk to you about money because they they have zero concept of money themselves right right so so basically I 
realized I started talking over their heads. Now, I did make lasting impact on all of them mm -hmm. in that, but that's why I teamed up with this woman, Julia Cook, because Julia has sold over 3 million copies of children's books. Right. And I said, here's my content. What can we do to take this content and make it accessible to kids? And she made it playful and she made it fun and like really took the and, and shaped it in a way that kids could understand. So we are now working on an animated series behind this. And so, yes, we're working on it. I, I learned that on my own, I don't speak the language that kids do because I start getting too fast into the financial concepts. Hmm. And there was a study that The Economist did years ago, almost a decade ago, that if they taught money in schools, kids were worse off than not being taught. And that's mm -hmm. the problem with improper scarcity thinking and you know reductionist thinking and not addressing the mindset or the individual. And that's like in my book, Money Unmasked, mm -hmm. I make sure to help people understand their money personas because mm -hmm. we view things differently based upon those money personas. And that persona, there's two sides. There's a shadow side that comes from scarcity. Mm -hmm. And there's the winning side that comes from co-creation, collaboration, and a more abundant vision that's about value at the core instead of about hoarding, which a lot of people kind of unfortunately get into because mm -hmm. of things like when my great-grandfather left Italy and didn't get to see his wife for seven years and met his daughter for the first time when she was seven years old because mm -hmm. he couldn't understand money and had to separate from them. So like that creates scarcity from a generational standpoint. Mm -hmm. So the good news is by doing the comedy special, first and foremost, my kids have watched it over and over again because they find it funny. And mm -hmm. this is when they were 13 and 15 years old. And that led to conversations where they were asking me the questions, not me trying to tell them about what I knew and hope that they were interested. So it created a level of interest and inquiry that changed things. Now, okay. the kids book, as we've been passing this out and as Julie has been reading it to kids at schools, like it definitely has shaped, but this is more like a kindergarten through third grade. Yeah, it looks, you it know. looks really young, but that's, yeah. the, I think, but then that's the, the age that you want to instill this interest and love for money. And I say love in the, in a very yes. broad context. I'm not talking from the conceited idea of greed, which normally is associated with the love for money. That's not where we're coming from. I always talk about love and respect for money the way you would have a best friend. Because unless you love and respect money in the same way that you respect a best friend, you're going to have a very difficult relationship with it. And the one person after yourself well that you have to, the one person that you need, to, you're going to have a relationship for the rest of your life after yourself, before your spouse, before your child, before anybody else is money. That's it. And, and people fail to realize that. Yeah. And uh, that's and why we make money the main character. Money is uh, the main likable character because who better to teach you about money than money, money itself? Yes. And so, it, and, and the whole message is, it's called I am money and I don't grow on trees. Because if I did, I wouldn't be worth very much. It turns mm -hmm. out I'm worth quite a bit. Yep. And it says money can be so helpful to handle the basics. Yep. But after the basics, it's about earning, spending, saving, and when you're abundant because you have more than you even need, giving. Give back, give and back, the, yeah. the best investment is to invest in yourself and develop your skill sets. And yeah. so this is kind of the concepts of the book and, it, and it's pretty interesting. It talks about credit cards in this and he wears his credit card coats or he wears his crypto clothes. Or, mm -hmm. So it kind of gets to introduce that as like different ways that money could show up. Mm -hmm. And I think it makes it very simple. But I think the magic of this book is parents will read it to kids and they don't have to say they didn't understand certain things in here.
but mm. because they're reading it to their kids and they're not going like a lot of people don't learn about money because they're defending their actions to this point. Oh, yeah, they're defending the so beliefs. Hard. Yeah, they're yeah, defending I, the beliefs. I, I did everything I could. And it's like, no, you, you, we all make money mistakes. Even I've made many money mistakes and I'm in I this world. I've, every mistake right? under the sun I've made, I promise you. <laughs> right. So it's like, so that's the thing is we're all born into this world without yeah. an instruction manual for money. Yeah. And yet we all have it. And it's like, oh, here you go. I hope you don't blow it. But a lot yeah. of people do because yeah. they're afraid to really look. And by the way, I think our relationship to money is merely a reflection of our relationship to ourselves. 100%. And 100% yeah. our self-worth. So what we believe is our self-worth determines on how much money we allow ourselves to keep. Yes. And and uh, otherwise, even people that earn a lot of it might be like burning through it. And like you said, you said something so uh, valuable is that people could end up with more money and worse off yeah. because they spend optimism or they yeah. can get a bigger loan because of that earnings and they think that they're going to make just more every month, but then it doesn't happen. Yeah. And I think a lot of people... And these money personas, one of the money personas is a striver. And a striver wants status. And a lot of times what they'll do is buy things to show wealth, but it doesn't necessarily lead to lasting wealth because they have to keep up with that image. And if they have a tough month, then they start to try to fill up that bucket by working harder. And then they don't have time with their family or take time for their health. And it's all about this kind of show that isn't fulfilling. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, and, and no matter how much they earn, it still doesn't give them the love that they wanted. And, and that's one money persona. Another money persona is the miser. The miser just wants to hold on to everything they have because they're afraid they might lose it. Yeah. This is my family. They put cash in coffee cans and buried them in the cellar. You know, they, I had an aunt that actually applied for welfare, but they had, she had 550000 or $530,000 in her savings account, so she got denied. But poverty is a mindset. It's a mm. perspective. And mm. if the perspective is... I've got to hold on to what I got to preserve. There's never enough because no. inflation's working against them, because their mind's working against them, because even if they have money, they feel poor. They, they spend 10 hours clipping coupons at the expense of earning more money and yep. no one shrinks their way to wealth. But those people believe that they can pinch their way to wealth, but in, in pinching pennies, they lose sight of value, right? Yep. And it's really like these three measures of worth. Price is what we pay. Mm. Cost is the economic impact and values our feeling of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. For people to be financially free, it's about money no longer being the primary reason or excuse for doing or not doing something. It's mm -hmm. a consideration, just not the consideration. So when we can put value first, when we think, is this, do I enjoy this? Do I feel fulfilled by this? Is this something that I want? Then what's the cost, which is the economic impact? You know, some things can have a high price and a low cost. Uh, the easiest example always comes to mind is I can have a really good accountant that can be a little bit higher priced, but they save me tax legally and ethically. Hmm. Maybe I pay them more, but I end up with more in the end. Yeah. You know, and so a lot of people get stuck in price and price alone, hmm. but now they spend too much time trying to save money at the expense of creating value and, and creating value is the game because money follows value. So how do we become better value creators? That's the question. Yeah. I mean, when you were saying this, I was thinking about um, in business partnerships as well. It's funny when you're surrounded by people, most time, most of the time you're surrounded by people who have similar beliefs to you. If that's the case, otherwise you wouldn't be in, in that circle. And those beliefs are reinforced. So even if you want to make free, you have to reassess who you're hanging out with and what, what kind of discussions, what kind of conversations you're having. And it occurs to me that, you know, even in business partnerships or in, as um, or colleagues for that matter, 
you know, I I come from a very abundant mindset. I come, okay, this is, we, okay, we need it, we can create it. And I have done that. And, that, and my life has shown, um, I've taken quantum leaps forward in my, in my income because of that mindset. I take what I call calculated risks. I don't take unnecessary risks. And put in the past, by the way, my calculations have been wrong. So they look like unnecessary risks, but I thought they were calculated. Anyway, my mistakes. I've learned from them. They're expensive tuition. Expensive. They're really tuition. expensive tuition, but yeah, yeah. It, it, it's lessons yeah. I've learned. But that, those lessons have allowed me to take serious calculation risks now, which allow me to quantum leap my, you know, tenfold my income pretty much every three to five years now. And so, but I've noticed, and because of that, I'm not afraid of debt. I'm, I know how to, you know, I'm not using debt to, you know, furnish my lifestyle. I'm not going on buying holidays with the debt. I'm actually using it to reinvest in other businesses and so forth. That's a very different concept to people who are afraid of debt. And that comes from mindset because they're afraid of utilizing money and leveraging money. And it comes back to, again, your relationship with money. How afraid are you? If you're hoarding money, you're going to be afraid of debt and you don't want it to go away. Whereas if you take calculus risks and you use other people's money, which is you know leveraging, using debt and using it as leverage, you can grow your wealth exponentially over the next five to 10 years. What are your thoughts on that? I hope you are enjoying today's episode. If you want to learn more about my mindset strategies and energy tools to help you change your money mindset, then please register for my Abundance Mindset Makeover Workshop by visiting www.abundancemindsetmakeover.com. See you inside the workshop. So I have a lot of thoughts on that. So first off, what's helpful for context is there's four different types of expenses. And most people collapse the word expense and think it's bad. Immediately, like expense has a negative connotation. But if we break it down to four types, the first one being a destructive expense, Mm -hmm. destructive expenses would be like borrowing to consume. I borrow for a trip. I don't have the money. I come back. The trip's great memories, but there is no asset to help me, you know, create cash flow. A destructive expense, I think heroin's always a destructive expense. I don't know. I haven't tried it. But uh, if it's ever the zombie apocalypse, I might try it then. I might be like, okay, world's ending. I want to see what's so good about this stuff and just overdose on it. But anyway, um, those are destructive expenses, right? Uh, the second type of expense is a lifestyle expense. Mm-hmm. This is something like clothes, utilities, you know, food. Just pay cash. Pay cash for lifestyle expenses rather than borrow. Mm. So we eliminate destructive expenses, we manage lifestyle expenses, and then the third type of expense is a protective expense. Mm -hmm. Protective expense could be estate planning, asset protection, insurance coverage, education so that we know how to mitigate and manage risk better, right? Mm -hmm. Liquidity, just having a peace of mind fund so we have enough cash on hand if we have a, a change in career or a health issue or need to take time off for a family member. Those are protective expenses and wealthy people do better at protective expenses than, you know, the middle class or yeah. even poor people do because they think, well, I, I don't have the money for it. But the thing is, you don't have to have a million dollars to get in a million dollar mess up. Mm-hmm. So we want to transfer risk and that's what protective expenses are. So we address protective expenses and the game changer is the fourth type of expense, a productive expense. Mm-hmm. I spend a dollar, more than a dollar comes back to me. See, a lot of people go, yeah, well, what should my budget be? Well, if you put a dollar in and more than a dollar comes back, don't budget. Just do that as long as you can manage it and it's effective. Mm -hmm. So we want to increase our productive expenses, address our protective expenses, manage our lifestyle expenses, and eliminate our destructive expenses. So that takes me to the word debt. Because the word debt is confusing for people because Mm -hmm. if we use the generally accepted accounting principles definition of debt, it simply means we go to a balance sheet. 
A yeah. balance sheet is an asset versus a liability. That's all a balance sheet is. Mm-hmm. It gives us a snapshot of our finances. It's a way to look and say, where are we right now, right? And that balance sheet, if we have more assets than liabilities, that's called equity mm-hmm. or net worth. Mm-hmm. We want to be in a positive equity or positive net worth situation. Yeah. Now, if we have more liabilities than assets, the opposite of equity is debt. So obviously we don't want to have more liabilities than assets, but what most people get confused about is they think any liability is a debt, but that's not mm-hmm. true. Yep. If you could go borrow a half a million dollars today mm-hmm. to buy a business worth a million dollars, if you have that half a million dollar loan, most people will say you are half a million dollars in debt, but the reality is based yep. upon a balance sheet, you're actually a half a million dollars in equity. Yep. Because if you turn around and sold the business for a million dollars, you pay off the loan of a half a million and you still have a half a million dollars. But yeah. most people get confused and think anytime they borrow, it's debt. That's not true. You might borrow and find yourself in equity if you know how to manage it. Now, on the other hand, if I know nothing about real estate and I go buy a property being like, I think this is going to be great. And then all of a sudden, I don't have a renter in there or I don't know how to Airbnb it. And I'm like, yeah. oh man, this is, this is sucking wind. And I want to sell it. If I have to sell it quick, I might have to sell it for less than what I owe on it. And now I have that debt that I owe. So I want to kind of like differentiate debt versus liability. So, and and I, the way I look at it is because some people use the term good debt and bad debt, and I know what the concept is, Mm. but the fact is there's efficient and effective loans and inefficient and ineffective loans. Mm -hmm. So if I borrow to consume, that is a consumption behavior that leads to debt. If I borrow to produce, then what I'm looking at is that an efficient or inefficient loan. So if if I can put a renter in there that gets me $1,000 a month and the loan costs me $700 a month, that's a positive $300 a month of cash flow if I can sustain it. Now I have to consider maintenance and I have to consider taxes and I have to consider other factors. But ultimately, that's a positive cash flow. And so what most people don't connect is your balance sheet to your income statement. Mm. What the balance sheet is, is the assets versus liabilities. The income statement is your income versus your expenses. Otherwise, you mentioned as a P&L, right? Mm. Profit and loss. So this is the methodology. How can I capitalize my assets to create cash flow for income? And how do I address my liabilities so that my expenses are minimal or at least productive expenses instead of destructive expenses? And so there's too many people that don't have a concept of what's called investor DNA. Mm. Your investor DNA is what kind of investor are you? What's your core values, your core competencies, and your core drivers? And when you invest, say, uh, what kind of investor are you? Some people are good at real estate. Some people are not. Mm. Some people are good at commercial real estate, but not on residential. Other people are good at fix and flip where they're buying a property, fixing it up and selling it. Other people are not. Some people are good at single family homes. Other people are better at duplexes. So even within that category, where are you informed? Because risk isn't in the investment. Risk is in you, the investor. What type of investor are you? If you know your investor DNA, you might say, I'm good at business acquisition, but I'm not good at real estate. Or I'm really good at creating intellectual property but I'm not really good at real estate. Again, find your lane and double down on investing in things that you know, align your investor DNA with those investments and focus on cash flow versus just waiting for 30 years, hoping that your investments pay off. That's what far too many people do. 
Yeah. They think that money is a function of three factors. I know I'm talking a lot here because uh, you got me all charged up. But the first <laughs> thing, the first factor is people fault. This is a fault. This is a false belief that it takes money to make money. It doesn't oh, take yeah. money no, to it make doesn't. money. No. Right. You can make money on your money. Absolutely. But it takes being resourceful. It takes adding value. It takes serving others. It takes value and exchange to make money. It's value and exchange. So when we believe it takes money to make money, that's what people tell us that want our money. And so a lot of people go, well, I'm just going to save 10% of my income and wait for 30 years and hope it all works out. The second thing that's faulty, they're told, is high risk equals high return. No, you have certain, base, you have certain knowledge other people don't. They yeah. allow you to get your income to double or 10x every three to five years. That is not by taking, you said calculated risks instead of risk. Calculated yeah. risk means you're mitigating and managing risk aligned yeah. with your investor DNA. Mm -hmm. So high risk equals high return is some dumb idea Wall Street had to convince yeah. people to separate themselves from their money and go, oh, high risk equals high return. Well, guess what? Everyone thinks they want to take risk until they lose money. Then nobody wants to take risk. Yeah. So we want to mitigate it. And then the third thing that's faulty is people are told, you're in it for the long haul. That doesn't sound good. Long haul doesn't sound good. When does the long haul end? When you die? Like... 30 years is a long time from now. Yeah. AI might be controlling everything 30 years from now. Who knows? In the so matrix, I'm unleashed, all about, yeah. Yeah, the, what I believe in is cash flow, yeah. plugging financial leaks and being efficient, mitigating risk, and finding ways to be more resourceful. So it's a different framework, right? So mm -hmm. how do we capitalize our assets to create more cash flow? And how do we manage our liabilities so that we utilize the right things instead of leveraging things we don't understand. And so for me, the, the model of leverage is leverage mental and relationship capital leading to financial capital rather than leveraging financial capital when you don't know what you're doing, which leads to loss. So oh, 100%. The, yeah. I, I, when we were talking through that, and I, I was going through in my mind and I tried everything under the sun. I, I'm one of those people who has to go and be, you know, <laughs> been trying for the last 15 years. And property is something where I got into very early on, um, and I became a property millionaire in my mid twenty. My you know by the time I was twenty seven. However, that's when I twenty seven was when I did too. So ah, yeah, awesome. But there was a property crash thereafter. <laughs> I was a millionaire for like a year. <laughs> yeah, I I, I I then went at twenty nine back to not being a millionaire. Two years Same. later, this so, yeah. really sucks. Yeah, you mean yeah, it doesn't yeah. just go up all the time? Yeah, it That's goes stupid. down as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, and I, I sort of realized there on was, and I kept property in my back pocket, and I've done a little bit with property, but I've not been fully invested in property itself. I've been looking at businesses, and what I've realized now is, after having various businesses, I, as you said, I think my investor DNA is, is towards businesses. I do like those. I like M and A's. I like you know going into the companies and doing X, Y, and Z. And I have a natural affiliation for it. I have, I'm good at marketing. I've picked up various, various skills throughout my different businesses, even those ones you didn't work out. But I've acquired skills from every single one, which actually now come in very handy while I'm building other businesses and merging them together and, and building a portfolio. So going back to the point, you have to understand who you are and take your lessons as yes. they come. And I yes. know now when I, when I look at property, I think it's great. I think property is great for those who can do it. But when I look at it, I think it's so much headache for, for the returns, whereas I can go and buy a business and have cash flow coming from the exact point that you just mentioned. I can, If I was to make uh, for one of the businesses, I'm taking 15K as monthly cash flow. In order for me to get 15K cash flow, God knows how many properties I would have to buy. 
and you know and, and work through them and, I, and i'm thinking oh my god look at the headache and it just it doesn't make sense to me you know so now looking now where i am in my in my my financial life but at one point in time you know making 300 pounds or 400 pounds or 500 pounds per property seemed like a good idea now it seems stupid to me but that's just you know where i am at the moment but it comes back to the in terms of your finance you know your uh, you know your money dna or financial dna whatever yep. term you gave yep recognizing it and i recognize it so i'm quite you know i've, I've come along not didn't call it that but you know that's the realization i have but i think that's where we need to work towards we need to work out where are we you know are we some people are good at crypto some people are good at doing amazon fba some people are doing something else whatever your affinity is whatever you're naturally talented towards which makes you happy and you enjoy it and you have a natural talent for right yep yeah. well, well said. Uh, Okay, so on that now we're gonna we're gonna wrap up. I just want to share. I want you to share something for us, though. I, you know, I think we we got so derailed and talked about other things. We forgot to mention about your personal life. So you mentioned the fact that you come from this sort of you know family, which is really about holding money and because of the generational ways. How did you? How did you personally break free from it? How did you work around it? How did you say, okay, now this generational curse, so so to speak, ends with me? Um, I'm not going to pass it into my kids and I'm going to change it for myself. So what did you do specifically? I got acknowledged at this event when I was young in the business mm. of finance. And this woman, her name's Nancy, saw me in the hallway and I, I recognized her because of some of the clients she had. And I just went up and talked to her and she's like, so she's like, I'm really excited for you. This is the first step. But as you start making more money, you're going to be in a different conversation with different people and see they view money differently than you see it right now. Mm. And I was smart enough to be like, what do you mean? Like, cause I, I respected her. And when she said, I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, let me ask you a few questions. And she starts asking these questions and I'm like, well, yeah, my wife and I can have kids once this amount of money is in the bank. We live in an apartment, even though we can afford a house because I just want to, you know, have this much grow in my net worth. And, and, Everything was about scrimping, saving, sacrificing, delaying, and deferring. And then she just said, I wonder what it's like living in the financial prison you built for your wife. I was like, wow. Oh, I'm an asshole. That's what I said in my head. I was like, oh. And I just remember it like hit me. And I called my wife because we were looking for this place to live. And I gave such a ridiculously small budget that it, she was really struggling to find something. And I was like, babe, I'm... I realized like we fight over budgeting, over the heating bill being too much, over you buying stuff for your classroom. And it's because I'm a dick. Mm -hmm. I'm just sorry. Like I didn't realize. And I sat up against this post in Vegas at a hotel and the session lets out and tears are rolling down my, my cheeks. And my wife was really awesome about it. And she's like, I get like, it's fine. You, and, and this is what she said that was so helpful. She goes, you're just doing what you thought was best for our family. Mm -hmm. Which you were, like, which is the truth. Which was the truth. And yeah. so I was like, okay. And so like, that was the first pivotal moment. And so what I told her, I said, why don't we look for a home together that we love? And let's like, look at a reasonable amount. This is what I'm making. Like, I don't believe we should buy a home that's that is the price is twice what I make if it's within that range. And so we found this home. I started hosting study groups there. I started having friends over because it was an awesome place to entertain. And my wife was able to design stuff. And even though the it was so funny the first night we were there because we had a TV that was the smallest TV ever in a place for a big TV. But mm -hmm. we just sat it there and laughed. But it was like just a that was the the first that was the first like shift for me. And then I was like, okay. 
who else do I know that thinks more abundantly than I do about money? Because now I was aware of the scarcity. Before yeah. I was, I just wasn't aware. Exactly. You so have to be I, aware that you, 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 you're stuck in this paradigm and now you're back to big free, but you need to recognize we're in a paradigm first, you know? Yeah. And so I just started to recognize, I was like, where are their footprints of failure? And I had these business partners that were older than I was and mm -hmm. very abundant. I used to judge the hell out of them. They'd go on vacation and one of them hired a photographer. I was like, why wouldn't you just like get your own little, you know, disposable camera? And they would go like scuba diving at night, which was more expensive. I'm like, just go on the, like everything. I was just judging them. And again, realizing, oh, I'm the a-hole. I'm spending all this time in judgment instead of value creation. I'm have all these expectations for people that are about my fears and inadequacies and insecurities because I'm afraid that I wouldn't be a good provider or I could protect my family. And that was actually preventing me from adding more value. So as soon as I had that shift and as soon as I started to like co-create and think about expansion, everything started to grow much faster. It yeah. just, it, it broke free. And I even had this other mentor, her name's Bab Smith. She, she uh, runs a program called Strategic Coach. Uh, with Dan Sullivan, and it's a really great program. They have, they actually have it in the UK as well as the United States. But she was like, "You need to take more time off." I was like, "What do you mean? Like, I, I'm busy." And all of a sudden, I took more time off and still made more money. So I started to realize mm -hmm. there's narratives that we get stuck in of the yeah. way things are: hard work, bad philosophy, limited results. So I started to say, "What would a winning game look like? What would a life look like that I don't want to retire from?" What things do I love to do? What could I enjoy? And how do I want to serve others and solve problems and add value? And I just took time to think instead of just being stuck in the doing. And that was like, and I just have constantly been in these conversations because I'm not impervious to scarcity. It still happens, but I'm aware of it now. And instead of being stuck in it for days or weeks or months, I'm stuck in it for hours or minutes. So it's just that awareness is the first step. And then conversation with people who are more abundant or further along mm -hmm. or can ask you questions you can't ask yourself in those times. 100%. 100%. And I agree with absolutely everything you said. I think it's becoming aware. And once you have that awareness, it leads you down the rabbit hole, actually. And you uncover so many different facets of your life, of your thinking, because everything's connected to everything else. You know, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And you begin to realize if you're scarce with money, you'll be scarce with time. And and also with your health and other things in relationships. And it just come, it impacts so many, every area of your life, really. But it is, it starts with becoming aware of where you are right now. Well, on that note, we're going to wrap up. So Garrett, tell us, how can we connect with you? Where can we find you on the internet? GarrettGunderson.com is my website. And if you click on musings, I actually write chat. GPT does none of the work. I actually write a blog. Um, I comment and respond to any comments on the blog. I do have videos I post three times a week or more to YouTube as well, Garrett Gunderson TV or Garrett.live in your browser. Um, uh, you know, if you go youtube.com forward slash Garrett Gunderson TV, you can subscri subscribe to that. Um, and I actually do respond in most comments, especially the mean ones. I, I like to respond to very snarky and I, I'm never mean back. I just mostly like, yeah, someone should kick this guy's ass, you know, it's that kind of stuff. So, um, uh, about myself. So, so those are kind of the, some of the best ways. And, um, I have a couple books that they can have for free, GarrettGunderson.com forward slash offer. They can mm -hmm. download killing sacred cows, my first New York times bestseller. And, uh, what would the Rockefellers do? My best selling book that I've done. Um, so those, those two are kind of on me. Wonderful. And my new book, 
Money Unmasked, moneyunmasked.com, my new book, which is how, that, how we got together. So if you are listening to us on the podcast, the links that that character has just mentioned will be in the show notes. And if you're watching us on YouTube and down below in the description section, we'll have all the links that Gareth has just mentioned. Go check him out. I'm going to and see how he can help you reshape your relationship with money. Well, thank you so much, Gareth, for today's episode and for this uncanny and <laughs> really, really interesting conversation. But we have to have you back on Money Talkies. But thank you so much for today. Look forward to it. And thank you for listening to me and Garrett today on Friday Feature. I will be back with another amazing guest finding out how they change their life by changing their mindset. Until the next time we meet, this is Girl Khan signing off. Take care and bye for now. If you want to learn more about my energy tools and mindset strategies, then please visit my website, www.gulkhan.com. And if you want to take part in our five-day abundance mindset makeover workshop, where I deep dive into energy tools for abundance, then please go to www.abundancemindsetmakeover.com and register. I look forward to being your mentor in the next workshop. And if you want to learn about the spiritual laws of money, then go and get my book, Laws of Money, from www.lawsofmoney.com. Until the next time we meet, this is Gul Khan signing off. Take care and bye for now.